Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. There is a really fascinating and I think also very useful discussion of a topic that Epictetus is calling anomalogias and we're translating as inconsistency, not being the same, not remaining the same over time. And it's relation to our moral failings in chapter 21 of, of book two. Now, why is this so interesting? Partly because of where it's going to go, and you'll see that at the very end of this, but partly because Epictetus is examining something that is not about so basic principles so much as how the process of philosophy as therapy of the self actually proceeds, and some of the resistances that you are likely to encounter, not only you know in your own self, but looking at everybody else and seeing how human nature tends to play itself out when it's not completely developed or clarified. So he says, why do people admit to certain faults quite readily and then not want to admit to other faults? This is a fascinating question. Why are people willing to, some people are not willing to admit to any faults, right? We know that. But those are pretty rare. Some people are willing to say, yeah, I'm bad in this respect, but I'm not going to say that I'm bad in this respect. And he gives some examples of this. He says, nobody wants to admit that they're foolish or unintelligent, although in some other passages he does have somebody saying, yeah, I'm, I'm a fool. But in general, quite the contrary here, everyone says, I wish I had as much luck as I have sense. They readily admit that they're timid, and they say, I'm a bit timid, but in general, you will not find me to, to be a fool. A person will not readily admit that they're lacking self-control, not at all that they're unjust, and will never admit that they're envious or meddlesome. But most men will admit that they are moved by pity. What is the reason for this? Why are they willing to cop to some negative traits and they're totally unwilling to even entertain the possibility that it might be the case that they are unjust or racked through with envy or, or those sorts of things? So that's a genuine question. What's the answer to it? Well, part of it is what he calls confusion or tarache about the good and the bad, disturbance about the good and the bad, a, a sort of disorder in our viewpoints on things. So how would that fit in there? Well, part of it is what's really good or bad, right? People are confused about what is genuinely good for human beings and what is bad for them. And so, you know, if they think that something is bad, even though it's not, they don't want to see themselves as somehow being blemished by that. If they think that something is good, they want to protect that within themselves and they want to deny what would go against that. Here's an interesting part of that, is admitting that there's something wrong with you, a good thing or a bad thing. Now, that's a question that doesn't have a simple answer, right? Because it, it kind of depends on what you're admitting. So it goes back to this question, why are we willing to admit some things and not to admit other things about ourselves? Now, you know, think about how much what is you know, considered to be good or bad has changed over time. Right? There are certain things that in our culture today, 
which is different than, say, Victorian culture, or different than, say, the cultures of the Middle Ages, that we readily admit to, we have no problem with whatsoever, but would be a total scandal back in that time. And there's other things, by the way, that we find totally scandalous that they thought were a-okay for the culture that they were in. Why? Here's another part of it. Not only are people confused about what really is good or bad, they're also confused about how to order things. What really is better or what is worse? Is it a worse thing to be seated at a dinner party and to accidentally belch? Say in the pause of the conversation so everybody hears it. Most of us would be mortified if that sort of thing happened to us, right? And even the person next to us, we might be like, hey, that wasn't me, that was that guy over there, right? Because we don't want anyone else to think that about us. But think about some other things that people might be doing at dinner parties that are far worse. Seducing somebody else's spouse. Shouldn't that be a shameful thing? And yet people will turn a blind eye to that sort of thing, and they'll concentrate on the person who disrupts etiquette. There's all sorts of things along these lines where people get mixed up about what's worse and what's better. So Epictetus has two sort of points that he makes about this to tell us how people, what's the logic by which people actually work out these sort of decisions. Well, one thing is they don't want to admit to what appears to them to be shameful. Now, notice he doesn't say is really shameful. He says, quite frankly, in there, he uses the word fantasticai, appears to them to be shameful. It's what they imagine, what they think, right? What they assess. Um, and it might involve what other people do as well, because our assumptions about this take into account our culture and, and other people. But we could be quite wrong about it. You know, we, we sometimes have the experience of being liberated from worrying about something that it turns out nobody cares about whatsoever. For example, do I need to wear a tie or not for these videos? Is there some sort of rule that says, if you're doing an academic video, you must be wearing a tie and at least a sweater or a jacket? No, nobody cares about that sort of stuff. I do it in part because, you know, for me, it's just part of the practice of, of being an academic. Sometimes I wear a tie, sometimes I don't, you know. It's not something that really fits into all of this. If I thought that that was absolutely essential to doing this sort of task, I might feel relieved to find out that it's not. And so, you know, things that appear to us to be shameful, those are the things we don't want to admit. So, you know, think, for example, about how radically the culture has changed from generation to generation. There are people who brag about things that just a generation ago you would try to keep under wraps. There's, you know, we have all sorts of examples of this. By the way, that, that was happening in ancient Rome as well. There was this culture clash occurring. Another thing is people will admit to what seems to be involuntary or has some sort of involuntary aspect to it. So Epictetus gives some examples of his own time that I think still apply to our own. He says, if a person does grudgingly admit that they are a crack, that they don't have self-control or something like that, they will say that they're in love because that people will excuse that or that there's something else going on with them because then it seems like an involuntary act, right? People who get mad and lose their temper, they blame it on the other person. They say, I was forced. I was in a situation where I couldn't help doing that sort of thing. The reason why people are inclined to admit um, timidity or pity or things like that is because we feel that those sorts of emotions or reactions are not things that we really have control over. 
If you think that you don't have control over any of the emotions, well then the emotions are things that you're willing to put out there and say that's just the way it is for me. If of course you're a Stoic or any of the other people who say that we have some control over our emotions and we have some responsibility for it, then you might not be so inclined to admit to your bad emotional reactions. He goes on and he says, injustice, people don't conceive of as involuntary. So they don't want to admit to it. If they do something that's wrong, they will usually say, well, mistakes were made. Not, I actually chose to do something that I knew was wrong at the time. I committed injustice. Because they see that as something that is within the, the realm of a person's choice. Jealousy, he says. In jealousy, there's an element of the involuntary. So this is a fault that men will grudgingly admit. Another thing that goes along with this that Epictetus doesn't bring up here, but is really applicable to our own time, people may reframe the narratives that they tell about themselves and other people and how they behave so that faults become involuntary and that they can admit them. You could actually see the processes of certain forms of psychotherapy as geared towards, towards helping people to see that things are not really all entirely their fault when they're, you know, when the th therapy's working well, or that it's other people's fault or society's fault or pick whatever else you like, or I have a condition when it's something else. People are, are willing to come to you if they have some diagnosed condition and tell you all about it because we no longer see, for the most part in our society, medical conditions as shameful. Now we actually see them as something that we have to show sympathy for and make exceptions for. So a person is, is willing to admit that because it seems to them to be something totally out of their control. It's involuntary. From a stoic perspective, certain physical conditions, probably pretty involuntary, unless the way that you're living has the choices that you've made about your lifestyle has led to them. So for example, if you're a smoker and you have emphysema, the stoic is not going to say, yes, that's totally involuntary because you had some sort of role in what led to that. But the, the upshot of this is there's many things that people will open up to and admit provided they can turn them into being something involuntary. I don't have a moral failure with respect to drinking. I'm an alcoholic. It's just a disease. Well, that's a big open question, isn't it? I have the genetic predisposition to that sort of thing. Stoicism is really focused on having us analyze why we behave the way we do, how it's oriented towards what we think is good and bad, whether we have our conceptions of good and bad well worked out so that they make sense across the board or whether they're still inconsistent. Now notice what Epictetus says that has this very, very interesting to close on. When such are the men we live among, so confused, so ignorant both of what they mean by evil, what evil quality they have, or whether they have one, or if so, how they came to have it, or how they will get rid of it. Among such men, I wonder whether it is not worthwhile for us also to watch ourselves. Each one asking himself the questions, is it possible that I too am one of those people? What conceit am I cherishing regarding myself? How do I conduct myself? Do I, for my part, act like a wise man? Do I act like a man of self-control? Do I ever say that I've been educated to meet whatever comes? Have I the consciousness proper to a person who knows nothing, that I do not know anything? He keeps on going on and on with this. Are we living what we're preaching as if we want to be Stoics, or are we just thinking this sort of stuff out and then not applying it? 
That's a very good question. All of this stuff right here, why do people admit to some things being wrong about themselves but not to others, that applies to us equally. And that could apply to why we're so willing to diagnose why other people have all this screwed up mentality and use that as a way to not focus upon ourselves. For Stoicism, there is going to be this intrinsic focus on self-scrutiny and making sure that these things apply equally to ourselves. When we see other people doing this, we ought to say, are we reflecting that ourselves? Is that something that applies to us? Are we getting to the root of what's really wrong with us? us? Are we willing to admit the stuff that truly is voluntary and say, oh, we have screwed it up a lot in the past so that then we can diagnose it and figure out how we can undo the damage that we've done and start to make progress towards the good. That is something that is a real upshot of looking at inconsistency in other people. We can see it in ourselves as well. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.